So I will just say, um, I was remembering as I was standing down there that a moment um, when I was first interviewing here with the, the search committee where one of the one of the search committee members from the Unitarian Church of Lincoln said, no, really, all the children here are above average. <laughs> that, that search committee member shall remain unnamed, but she was standing right behind where I am now two minutes ago. Bridging is a curious ceremony. It's what we call a rite of passage. Unitarian Universalists speak for the ceremonies that are often sacraments at other churches, but we are resolutely non-sacramental, so we will use a different term. <laughs> this being too long to say, we call it a rite of passage. When children are born, we mark that beginning. We gather as a community for a child dedication. When our members die, we mark the end of a life, gathering as a community for a memorial service. Bridging, though, marks both a beginning and an ending. In this, it is like another rite of passage, marriage. Don't worry, Declan and Nels, that's... <laughs> this combination of ending and beginning is at the heart of the, the bridge metaphor. In this, rite of passage, we mark the end of one status in the congregation, that of a youth, and the beginning of a new status, young adulthood, youth to young adulthood, child to adult. But this image that we use, the bridge, is a recognition that that transition is not immediate. One does not show up on a church at a church service on Sunday morning at about 1045 as a child and magically turn into an adult at 10.50. There's an in-between time, the time we spend on a metaphorical bridge crossing from one shore to another. We borrowed the language of rites of passage from anthropology. And in anthropology, in rites of passage, there's this idea of liminality. As developed, by Arnold Van Gennep and later Victor Turner, liminality is the moment of in-between, captured in ritual. In the moment of liminality, we are not what we were, and we are not yet what we are becoming. There are two textbook examples of this in American culture. The, the first is during a wedding ceremony. Two people standing in front of each other saying vows are not quite married, but neither are they not married. In the middle of the ceremony, they are in a liminal space. The other literal textbook example is a graduation ceremony. As folks sit in folding chairs in academic regalia, listening to a commencement address, or not listening to a commencement address, <laughs> they are in between states, no longer students, but not yet graduates. In thinking about this sermon, I went back to see what I said about bridging last year. Um, I, I wrote a lot about ordination, and then I scratched it all out and said it's about calling, which is probably appropriate, because two weeks after the bridging ceremony last year, you gathered as a congregation for a service of ordination. And so while I was writing this sermon last year, I was in the middle of a liminal time, the 
congregation had voted to ordain me, and we had not yet had the ceremony. So I certainly did not have the status of a student or a minister in training, but I also didn't put reverend in front of my name yet. Liminal times are often disconcerting times for our self-identity. So we have ceremonies to mark the transitions in our lives. We become young adults. We get married. I got ordained. And at the same time, these transitions are not contained to the ceremonies that mark them, right? Turner's conception of liminality is limited. We enter a ceremony in one state, we have a liminal period, and then we exit the ceremony in a different state. That may be true of ritual, but often transitions take much longer than the ceremonies that mark them. The transition from youth to young adulthood doesn't happen at a bridging ceremony. It doesn't happen in a month or a season. It happens over years. Marriages, my favorite thing to say at weddings is, you know, we aren't actually creating anything new today. We are simply recognizing what the two of you have known to be true for some time. And as for ordination, well, now I get to put Reverend in front of my name, but I'm not convinced that there's a fundamental difference between who I am this year as a pastor and who I was last year as a pastor. The ceremonies we gather together to mark the transition, but even as we celebrate them, we know two things are true. First, our identities are enduring. The person you were yesterday is the person you will be tomorrow. And second, that our identities are always in flux. That change is one of the few constants we can count on. Every day we change a little bit, and it is the accumulation of that evolution that appears as a transition from one state to another. So then, why do we have rites of passage? Marking transitions and holding liminal moments in this symbolic way. At least part of it is to take a moment to pause, to breathe, and to recognize what we have known to be true for some time, even if we can't put it into words. Part of it is practical. We live in a world where discrete identities are easier to describe than lim liminal states. And so, Rites of passage mark the change of label from one identity to another. And maybe, most importantly, these ceremonies are an excuse to have a celebration. So, Declan, Nels, what does this mean for you? This is an important marker in your relationship with the church. It's a recognition of what we've known to be true for some time that you are no longer children, but join with the young adults in this congregation. There are more than two of us, I promise. <laughs> if you stay with us, we'll ask of you different things than we have in the past. It is a time for all of us to recognize who you have become, who you are becoming, and to celebrate you. And for all of us, 
today is a reminder that change and transition are constant. Few of us go through radical change every year, but we all change a little bit every day. Here's a piece of advice given to new ministers. You will always overestimate what you can change in one year. And you will always, just as always, underestimate what you can change in a decade. This is true for individuals. This is true of churches. This is true of each of us. So today we mark that transition and we celebrate. Congratulations and amen. Now, we'll close with one more poem by John O'Donohue for the traveler. Every time you leave home, another road takes you into a world you were never in. New strangers on other paths await, new places that have never seen you. They will startle a little at your entry. Old places that know you well will pretend nothing has changed since your last visit. When you travel, you find yourself alone in a different way. More attentive now to the self you bring along, your more subtle eye watching. And how what meets you touches that part of the heart that lies low at home. How you unexpectedly attune to the timber of some voice opening in conversation you want to take in to where your longing has pressed hard enough inward on some unseen dark to create a crystal of insight. You could not have known you needed that crystal to illuminate your way. When you travel, a new silence goes with you, and if you listen, you will hear what your heart would love to say. A journey can become a sacred thing. Make sure, before you go, to take the time to bless your going forth, to free your heart of ballast so that the compass of your soul might direct you towards the territories of spirit where you will discover more of your hidden life and the urgencies that deserve to claim you. May you travel in an awakened way, gathering wisely into your inner ground that you may not waste the invitations which wait along the way to transform you. May you travel safely, arrive refreshed, and live your time away to its fullest, return home more enriched and free to balance the gift of days which call to you.